you are Locked On A's, your daily Oakland A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. How's it going, A's fans, and welcome to episode 167 of the Locked On A's podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, noted baseball fan, Jason Burke, and on today's show, we're going over the Rookie of the Year winners in the AL and NL, one big name that the A's could leave vulnerable for the Rule 5 draft, and Jeff Luno is suing the Astros. What a time to be alive. So that's what we got coming up for you guys today, but before I get started, as always, please follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I am at ByJasonB on Twitter. And if you have any questions for us, please send those to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. I got a mailbag episode coming up for you guys probably in the next couple of days, so get your questions in. So first things first, I went one for two in my awards predictions for Monday, and I am pretty happy with the one that I missed. Kyle Lewis of the Mariners was the unanimous choice for AL Rookie of the Year. Uh, I said that I thought that it would be Louis Robert, but uh, or Lewis Robert, but uh, it, it ended up being Kyle Lewis, who I was rooting for personally, but I thought that it would go the other way. It did not, and I am happy with that, just because I like watching Kyle Lewis play some baseball. Uh, he was the 11th overall pick in 2016 and missed a bunch of developmental time due to injuries, and the journey to this point just could not have been easy for him. He was not playing full seasons at any time. He was always getting hurt, and uh, now he is the AL Rookie of the Year, and on the season, Lewis ended up batting 262. But he was batting over 300 on September 9th. The last few weeks, he struggled mightily, collecting just a hit in five of his remaining 16 games. A couple of those were two-hit games, but still, five out of 16, they just get a hit. Not going to do it. That's why his average went all the way down to 262. And while that is a big slump, it also shows how great of a season he was having up until September 10th because he ended up with a 126 WRC+, which is still 26% above league average. He had an on-base percentage of 364. He had 11 homers, 28 RBI, and 37 runs scored. He is a very deserving AL Rookie of the Year, even with a really crappy three weeks at the end there. So based off of what I've seen from Lewis, in his 76 uh, professional games, and not professional, uh, major league games, uh, he is going to keep thriving at the major league level, and it's going to be a blast to watch, even though I am, you know, by nature an A's fan, I do enjoy baseball, and Kyle Lewis, lots of fun. My favorite thing about him from this season, I only noticed it this season, he may have been doing it last season, but when he's sitting there in the batter's box waiting for a pitch, he just starts thrusting at the air, and it is hilarious every single time. And uh, I assume that it just keeps his his hips loose, which, you know, sure, do that. That's fine. It's better than Nomar's, you know, wrist thing because he has OCD. Uh, the visual of his hip loosening is just wonderful. Check it out online. Um, yeah, it, it's good stuff. So congratulations to Kyle Lewis on this one. Uh, very much deserving. But uh, another guy that was deserving of a Rookie of the Year award is in the National League, and I, you know, wanted him to win, so good job for that, I guess. Uh, it's Devin Williams of the Milwaukee Brewers. Devin's is a reliever. 
And to be honest, I had not heard his name before the season began, but uh, as it kept going, as the season kept going, I just kept seeing his name more and more on Twitter and social media. And then every time I would look on Baseball Savant, his name is at the top of whatever leaderboard I was looking at. So uh, he had a killer season. He has a killer changeup. That is why he won the National League Rookie of the Year. And I mentioned yesterday that he had a K per nine rate of nearly two an inning or 17.67, but his strikeout percentage or batter's face that he struck out was 53%. He struck out more than half of the guys that he faced, which is ridiculous. He put up a 1.4 Fangraphs war in 27 innings pitched, which is the equivalent of playing three full baseball games. So imagine Mike Trout getting a 1.4 war in three games. Uh, it doesn't happen is all I'm saying. Uh, he also pitchers get war in different ways, but you know, that's beside the point. 1.4 in 27 innings. That's really good. Uh, he didn't get hit very hard with an exit velocity of 83.7. That is ridiculously low. And the only run that he allowed was on July 27th and his second appearance. So he ended the season with a 033 ERA and opposing hitters hit just 090 against him on the season. Dude was just dominant and this is a very deserving award for both these guys, so congratulations to Kyle Lewis and Devin Williams on receiving these honors. They definitely deserve them. Uh, you know, go watch their highlights on MLB.com, on the, the film room thing that they just released. But I do want to point out just one quick note on the whole uh, voting and all that stuff. Uh, Kyle Lewis swept first place votes and ended up with 150 voter points. Uh, I assume that you get three for first place or something like that. Uh, A's rookie catcher Sean Murphy uh, finished it up in fourth place with seven points. So he was a little bit off the lead for first, but that was not too far behind the third place finisher, Christian Javier, who finished with 11 points. And I want to give a shout out to Alex Coffey of The Athletic. Uh, she writes about the A's for The Athletic. Uh, she was Sean Murphy's sole second place vote, and all of the other votes that he received were third place votes coming from Sam Miller of ESPN and one of my favorite podcasts, the Effectively Wild podcast. Uh, he got a third place vote from Sam Miller, along with JP Morosi of MLB. You've seen him on the MLB network and all that stuff. Uh, Brendan, I'm going to say Cuddy. I think that's his name, Brendan Cuddy of the uh, NL Adva or, uh, New Jersey Advanced Media and then Shana Rubin of the Bay Area News Group. They all put him third. Um, also getting a third place vote was Jesus Luzardo. And this one came from Dave Scretta of the AP. So, uh, you know, biases aside, I got to say that I think that Murphy probably should have finished in third place at least uh, behind this group of uh, Lewis and Robert just because uh, Javier, he had a 3.50 ERA and that's a good showing for a pitcher obviously, but I think that it's easier for a rookie pitcher to succeed with a little bit of talent than it is for a hitter with a little bit of talent to succeed over the course of a season because there's more chances to fail. And uh, guys aren't seeing you for the first time. They're seeing you over and over. They're seeing you three times a series at least. Uh, they can build up a scouting report on you pretty quickly, whereas a pitcher, you know, you got a good fastball or, you know, a, a curveball that breaks really nice and it's hard for guys to catch up to that immediately. He threw like 50 innings, something like that. So, um, you know, good job for Christian Javier, obviously, but you know, I just had to say that uh, I think that he probably should have gotten 
more votes is all I'm going to go with. And I know that Sean Murphy's 233 average is not great, but his on-base percentage was 364, which is the same as the winner of the AL MVP award. And he played solid defense behind the dish. Uh, he was arguably better than Lewis Robert over here. Robert was a league average bat with the same batting average as Sean Murphy, and he only had a 301 on-base percentage. I know that he played some really great defense in center field, but still, I'm saying that Sean Murphy should have probably gotten a few more votes. Uh, but that's that's all for all of my you know ranting and all that stuff about that rookie of the year. Uh, coming up on the show, I'm going to give you one name that the A's may leave off of their 40-man roster ahead of the Rule 5 draft, and Jeff Luno is in the news again, and of course it's not for anything good, so stay locked in with Locked On A's, and I'll be right back. Welcome back to the Locked On A's podcast. If you guys are enjoying the show, make sure to subscribe wherever you like hearing podcasts. And also make sure to tell a friend because we are here every single day of your work week giving you guys A's news. And we'll be here all winter long to discuss A's and Major League Baseball stuff too on slow days. So uh, yeah, that's what we do here. It's a lot of fun. Also make sure to follow us on social media at Locked On A's on Twitter and Instagram. I am at ByJasonB on Twitter. And if you have any mailbag questions for us, please send those to LockedOnAthletics at gmail.com. So I was reading this piece on The Athletic by friend of the show, Melissa Lockard, where she was going through the guys that will likely be added to the A's 40-man roster ahead of the Rule 5 draft in December. And she does a great job of explaining what makes a player eligible for the draft and all that jazz. So I'll link to the piece in the show notes. If you have a subscription to The Athletic, uh, it's easy to read right there. If you don't, uh, I suggest getting one. It's fantastic. It's a great source for all of the news that you want from baseball and other sports too. So it it has you all covered. But um, I'll link to her piece in the show notes and you can decide what your next move is from there. So essentially what makes somebody available for the Rule 5 draft is that if you are with a team for a few years and you're not on the 40-man roster, then you're eligible to be drafted by another team. Uh, It's a lot more complicated than that, but that's the bare, bare bones of this uh, so that I don't take up too much time explaining it. Melissa does a great job. The link is in the show notes. Um, The one caveat with this is that if a team selects a player, then that player must stay on the active or, you know, the 26-man roster for the entirety of the season in order to remain with the club. Otherwise, they have to be offered back to their origin, uh, the original club. So, uh, for example, Mark Canna was a Rule 5 pick that the A's got from Miami a few years back, and he has been very solid for the A's. The A's do a good job with their Rule 5 picks uh, in general. Uh, Vimeo Machin this past year, you, you saw him with the A's. I like him a lot. He was selected by the Phillies from the Cubs, and then the Phillies traded him to the A's, uh, I assume for money, not positive, but, you know, whatever. Uh, or sometimes it happens where uh, a team will draft a player and then uh, send, I think that that might've actually been what happened with uh, Mark Canna is the Rockies selected him from the Marlins and then the Rockies and A's traded players where the A's got Mark Canna and then they shipped out. I believe it was a minor league pitcher, but I'm not positive. Anyway, I just kind of riffed with that one and I'm pretty sure that's how that worked out. That's all off the top of my head. So uh, just getting back to Melissa's list of guys that would probably make the 40-man roster and they all seem to make sense, but one guy that could be vulnerable next month is Lazaro Armenteros or Lazarito as he is more broadly known to the A's fan base and people that follow prospects. Uh, If the A's do decide to leave him off the roster, I'd be a little bit surprised if anybody took him because of his high strikeout rates over his pro career. He's only been in the low minors thus far and has strikeout percentages of 34 and 26 percent in rookie ball, 34 in A ball, and 42 in high A. That's Stockton for you guys. Uh, The talent is still there, but there is a ton of swing and miss in his game, and I don't see a team 
taking him to have him struggle for the course of a full season in the big leagues. That would just be cruel and unusual. Uh, the only way that I could see him being selected in the Rule 5 draft would be if a team like the Tigers see something in him that they can tweak and have him work on throughout the course of the season. Uh, it would have to be a team that doesn't have much hope of contending in 2021 and that is looking for a cheap way to attain guys with talent that they can unlock over, you know, a, a brief period of time, but, you know, a, a period of time as opposed to somebody that need right now. And uh, outside of that, it doesn't look like Lazarito would be high on many draft boards because of the amount of work that needs to be done. Why give him that roster spot that you could use for somebody else who's, you know, in double A or triple A or, you know, that could provide more value to you over the course of, you know, 2021, obviously, and then also beyond because you get them that experience. So I think that he'll be safe, but I do still remember that the Padres just a couple of years ago had like four Rule 5 guys on their 25-man roster, and that was ridiculous. That was before that we had the extra guy on the roster. They had 25 guys to work with. Four of them were Rule 5 picks. Uh, they were not a good team that year. So uh, it is possible. I don't think that it's probable. I think that if you're going to go with somebody who's inexperienced and rough around the edges, it's usually a pitcher because you can hide them a little bit better than somebody who's going to be on your bench. So I think that uh, Lazarito would be safe if he is left off the 40-man roster. Uh, I do think that the A's are going to move a couple of their outfield guys, whether that's big leagues or minor leagues. And it would surprise me if the A's don't clear up some of their congestion in the outfield situation that they have, because they have a ton of outfielders in their minor league system and at the major league level. And I feel like they're going to be using some of those guys to improve other areas around the team. So uh, keep an eye out for that. Maybe Lazarito makes the roster because they made some other trades and they had some available spots, but uh, not going to count those chickens before they hatch. Uh, moving on to the saga that never seems to go away, the Astros cheating scandal and Jeff Luno, the quote unquote scapegoat of the whole ordeal, is suing the team for breach of contract. Apparently there was nothing in the contract about what happens if there's a cheating ring that occurs on his watch, whether or not he knew about it and brought shame to the organization and makes the Astros Astros, the most hated club in baseball. Maybe that's not a fireable offense, according to the contract. I don't know. I'm not a legal scholar by any means. Uh, he is Jeff Luno is claiming that the Astros owner Jim Crane and MLB commissioner Rob Manfred struck a deal to make Luno the scapegoat. That is his legal basis. This should be fun. We're not going to know anything about this. We'll just get like a report like, eh, this is what happened. Uh, we don't get to watch it on court TV, which kind of stinks. Anyway, Luno is claiming that uh, Jim Crane did all this so that he could save $22 million in guaranteed salary by firing Luno for just cause. Uh, not just because, but for just cause, like having a good reason to do it. And I'm a little bit skeptical of this whole situation because if there were really grounds for this lawsuit, it would have been filed closer to when he was fired on January 12th, as opposed to, you know, in November. It just doesn't seem like it has a lot of weight on this one. Uh, the Athletics article, you know, gave us the details as we know them so far and uh, detail the next step, but I am not hip to the Lego mumbo jumbo, but it says something about if there are any arbitration provisions, they would be handled in a private courtroom. So uh, again, we're not going to be seeing this on court TV. It's going to be handled behind closed doors uh, because Major League Baseball does not like scandals, but they sure do like creating the situations for scandals to exist. And I got just one more bit of news that came out late Monday night, and that is that Tony La Russa, the White Sox new manager, was arrested on suspicion of driving under the influence in Arizona in February after he crashed into a curb. So, uh, you know, you got to be kind of drunk to do that. Uh, Maricopa County, which you all know from election coverage over the last week, they filed charges against Tony La Russa on October 28th, the day before the White Sox hired him. So the White Sox don't seem to be doing their due diligence. Uh, it seems like Tony La Russa has a drinking problem and people just know about it. Uh, 
I don't remember him having one. Maybe he's been out of the public eye for so long that I'd just forgotten, or maybe I never knew, but it feels like people knew about this, and uh, maybe they just don't care. Maybe they were like, yeah, that's the guy that we want, the end. And this just brings me back to what I said last week when uh, all this news broke, is they couldn't find a better candidate to manage one of the most exciting teams in baseball than a 76-year-old who has been recently charged with a DUI, let alone has multiple DUIs on his record. This is the best candidate that they could find, and I know that he has, you know, a Hall of Fame resume because he's literally in the Hall of Fame, but uh, when you don't give other people opportunities, they're always zero and zero because they don't get the opportunities. You got to give somebody a shot at some point. And I know that the White Sox job should have been given to probably A.J. Hinch, which, you know, there's issues with that too, or Alex Cora, again, issues. But there are other people besides those three to manage teams. That's all I'm saying. Uh, people have been waiting in line forever. They've been in the conversation for years now, and nobody's getting a shot. And uh, it just seems ridiculous that Tony La Russa still gets to manage teams uh, just because his owner likes him and feels bad for firing him 40 years ago. Just come on, baseball. Be better. No, no, no. Be best. And just cherry on top for this one, Bob Nightingale, of course, he's a reliable source for anything baseball news that you need. He is reporting that Tony La Russa will not face any punishment from his team. So, you know, obviously they're going to stick by their newly minted guy. Um, will he last the whole season? I'm starting to have doubts. This is going to be interesting. Um, after he was hired, Tony La Russa was, said, uh, I think it was to the San Jose Mercury News, not positive, but I'm going to attribute it to them just because. But Tony La Russa said that winning games will be easier than ever with how baseball is played these days. And apparently it's so easy that he's going to be doing it while intoxicated. My wife said that was a cheap joke, but I wanted to do it anyway. Um, but seriously, though, I want to end this on a serious note because I, I made the joke, so now I have to be serious. Um, if you are somebody that you know is battling alcoholism and wants help, uh, there is a link to addiction treatment in the show notes, and they also take insurance, so don't be afraid if you feel like you need help or if somebody that you know needs help. Uh, there are options out there, links in the show notes for you guys, and I apologize for that abrupt uh, change of pace for you guys from going from ha 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 to, but seriously though, um, sometimes that's how I write. Uh, anyways, that's going to be it for me today, you guys. So enjoy your Tuesday. Until next time, stay indoors, celebrate good times, Oakland, keep wearing those masks, and I will talk to you guys tomorrow.